Welcome back. Hour number two of the Bill Michaels Show. We are glad to have you. 877-867-1670. 877-867-1670. You want to find us, please feel free. Go ahead. Give us a shout. Going to get back into the phone calls coming up a little bit later on in the program. Again, 877-867-1670. Uh, time now um, to uh, to look around the rest of the National Football League as uh, there are games this weekend, playoffs happening again this weekend. Mark Schofield, SB Nation, going to be joining us on the hotline. Mark, how you doing? I'm doing well, Bill. How are you, my friend? We're doing good. Uh, disappointed. Uh, a little surreal leaving Lambeau Field on Sunday night and uh, realizing, oh, boy, this is uh, the last time we're going to be here this season. So, uh, I, I want to start there because, you know, the evaluation of now coaching and, and such starts to come into play. This was a team that uh, did not do well in the red zone, did not do well defensively all season long. The rankings actually went down in many different categories, and they actually invested quite a bit, when it's, whether it's draft capital or money, into that defense. What, is, what went wrong, in your opinion, with the Green Bay Packers this season? Yeah, I mean, I think... It- just the overall theme on both sides of the ball of not really living up to expectations, not really sort of coming through the way we thought this team was going to perform this year. I remember, you know, dating back to the summer, started on the defensive side of the ball because that was the unit that for many, myself included, was going to be the reason that the Packers were going to be in the playoffs and potentially make a deep run. You know, with all the questions about Rodgers and the young receivers the arguments that I made all summer long and into the fall started with this defense, with the investments that they made, draft capital and otherwise, like you just talked about, was going to put this offense in position to be successful via turnovers, short fields, and the like. That didn't materialize until really kind of late in the season, as we talked about the past couple of weeks, the defense started to play better, but ultimately it was too little too late. You know, there were problems up front. You know, the front seven didn't perform the way we thought it would, didn't sort of gel the way we thought it would. You know, the turnovers didn't follow. There were some issues in the secondary at times, schematic and execution-wise, that, you know, led to Justin Jefferson having a huge day in the season opener, for example. And you start stacking these issues, it became too much for this team to overcome. And then, you know, as we saw Sunday night, you had some turnovers on the offensive side of the ball. You give up a couple of big plays here and there. You have some struggles at times stopping the run. And instead of getting into the playoffs like we thought they would, like I think everybody thought was going to be the scenario on Sunday night, they're now at home watching with the rest of us. And it opens the door to what happens now. Are there you know, coaching changes? And, of course, the question about Rodgers and his future. But I think ultimately it was that issue of the expectations that we had for this team both on the field from an execution standpoint and on the whiteboard from a schematic standpoint, they weren't realized. The weekend coming up is interesting. Now, we just found out Tua is out. He will not be playing this weekend going to a Buffalo. He is still uh, not able to play. So that means they've got backups going against the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo Bills get news today that DeMar Hamlin is coming home, and he's going to continue to rehab at home and with the Buffalo Bills. you got to think if he's able to go to this game that he's going to make some kind of an emotional appearance, everything trending in the Bills' direction. Give me your thoughts on that game first and foremost coming up uh, noon on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I think it was interesting. Last night I saw floating around that the number in that game had gone from, I think, Buffalo minus 11 or so to Buffalo minus 9. You know, and there was a thought that is this a sign that two was going to be ready. 
but then other people pointed out that no, if this was a if this was a Tua related movement, you'd probably see it move a little bit more. This might be the the sign that it's going to be a Teddy Bridgewater week, and I think that's you know been confirmed in the past hour or so that as Mike McDaniel came out and just said moments ago, he hasn't been cleared. Tua hasn't been cleared to come back and resume football activities from being in the concussion protocol for now the second time this season. And so it is, like you said, it's going to be either Teddy Bridgewater who's dealing with a fractured finger or even Skylar Thompson, a rookie seventh-round pick. And so when you have that factored in to the idea that, look, this is going to be in an emotional environment as it was last Sunday at Highmark Stadium when the Bills played the Patriots, you know, and like you said, DeMar Hamlin has been cleared to go home, which is fantastic news. You know, we're all excited to see that. And like you said, I think, that, you know, if there's a chance that he could be at that game on Sunday, you can only imagine what that atmosphere will be like. And let's not forget, the Buffalo Bills were the team that many had in their minds when we talked about, okay, who's going to make a deep Super Bowl run this year? You know, all summer long into the season, with all the Bills, they're so talented. Josh Allen is so fantastic. Their defense this year has been a very good unit top five or 10 defense, depending on which sort of metric or stat you look at to make that determination. I really think that the Buffalo Bills, you know, especially with this Tua news now, they're going to win this game. You know, that I think if Miami somehow, even with all of this goes into Buffalo and wins, that would be the stunner of the week because on paper, Buffalo is the better team. You got the 49ers hosting the Seahawks on uh, Saturday afternoon. And, uh, Brock Purdy, I, I can't, I, I don't want to say I can't figure it out because we've seen young guys come in and take over teams. Hell, you know, we saw, you know, uh, a very young Tom Brady go in and win a Super Bowl. But Brock Purdy has brought a different energy to that 49ers team, with or without Debo Samuel. He's been fantastic. Now they're going to get Debo uh, up and running and probably even better than what he was uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the Seahawks coming in, kind of eking their way in, so to speak, holding their breath that the Packers didn't win. So I, uh, as much in plus they're playing that number one overall ranked defense, I don't see uh, many ways that the Seahawks get a win in, in, in uh, San Francisco coming up on Saturday afternoon. No, neither do I. I mean, I think, you know, you start thinking about teams that could make a run on the NFC side, and San Francisco is probably at or near the top of that list. You know, the defense, one of the best units, if not the best defense in all of and the NFL right now, fantastic unit. You know, Geo Smith and company are going to have their hands full there. But I think what's interesting about the Brock Purdy story is that, you know, I saw a graphic that was floating around from on social media today from a couple of seasons ago where, you know, the stat was most passing yards from a quarterback over their first 13 NFL starts. Number one, Patrick Mahomes, probably not, you know, a surprise there. Number two, Andrew Luck. And number three was Nick Mullins from his time with the 49ers. And what that sort of gets to is what Shanahan can do with his offense, with the schemes and the concepts that he dials up, almost regardless of who the quarterback is. You know, whether it's Nick Mullins, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo, whether it's, as we're seeing right now, Brock Purdy. You know, so I think Shanahan, you know, as an offensive play designer, deserves some credit there. I think it's also interesting to think about the talent around the quarterback position when you have a Debo Samuel when he was coming back from his injury, when you have Christian McCaffrey, when you have a Kyle Juszczyk, when you have a George Kittle. You know, these are players that, you know, one might be a receiver on the depth chart or the roster, or one might be a fullback, but they're in many ways interchangeable. You might see Juszczyk in the backfield or lined up a tight end or lined up in the slot. You can say the same about, you know, any of the other players I just mentioned. And that puts such a stress on a defense where, 
you know, how do you treat these players? Do you go big? Do you go small? Do you try to sort of split the difference? And so you add all that up, you know, the defense, what they can do schematically, the players that they have, San Francisco is going to make a deep run starting this weekend. Talking with Mark Schofield, SB Nation, joining us uh, on the hotline. Uh, the Jaguars have become kind of America's favorite uh, because it wasn't going to be the Lions. They're not there, but the Jaguars, they have kind of just, uh, boy, what Doug Peterson has done there is nothing short of miraculous from where this team was last year under Urban Meyer. So the Jaguars sitting at home with a home game after winning their division. Now they face the Chargers. They're 9-8, and eight, Chargers 10-7. and seven. I think a lot of people are rooting for the Jaguars, but the Chargers aren't a team to be taken lightly either. No, absolutely not. And, you know, we've seen over the past couple of weeks what that offense can look like, in particular with, you know, Mike Williams back in the lineup, with Keenan Allen back in the lineup. You know, but now we got a Mike Williams injury to, to think about. You know, he had the back injury this past weekend. I haven't seen any updates on him yet, but I know he avoided sort of any sort of structural or a fracture uh, to his back on Sunday. And so we'll wait to see on whether Williams can go. Because obviously, like we've seen over the past couple of weeks, having him back in the lineup is huge for Justin Herbert. But I think what's fascinating about Jacksonville this year, Bill, is, you know, with all the attention on Doug Peterson and what he's done for Trevor Lawrence and, you know, the fact that we are seeing right now, you know, this is the Trevor Lawrence that we thought we were going to see when Jacksonville drafted him first overall. But if you look back at, you know, they've won six out of seven coming out of their bye week. And since that time, over this seven-game stretch, their defense has been, you know, a top-ten unit, whereas they were a bottom five or six unit um, in the NFL going into their bye week. The defense has played been a huge part of their recent success, and we saw that Saturday night, right? They get the big turnover late in that game. They were pressuring Josh Dobbs early and often. You know, Derrick Henry get 109 yards rushing, but they sort of limited the damage. You felt like watching that game that – Oh, the big Derrick Henry run is coming. It's coming. You, you thought at some point he's going to spring one 30, 40, 50 yards. I think he had one that came close, but it could call back due to holding that big run never really came. And so their defense deserves a lot of credit for this recent run. I kind of like Jacksonville in this game, the way they played on the defensive side of the ball, what Doug Peterson's going to do for Justin Herbert. And like you said, that Saturday night environment, I, I've got some friends that cover the Jaguars. I've got some friends that are Jaguars fans you know that's going to be an incredible playoff atmosphere down there. So I like Jacksonville Saturday night. Uh, And then we've got uh, some of the other games that are on the docket coming up on Sunday that a lot of people are going to be paying attention to with the Vikings, obviously, here in this division. Are are they for real or not? Here come the Giants. Neither team of which we really had a lot of belief in throughout the season. Yeah, I mean, neither one, right? All season long. I think you and I have gone sort of back and forth. We've gone, oh, wait, Minnesota, maybe they're for real. Oh, wait, no, no, maybe not. They just got blown up by Dallas. And I remember talking at length about the Giants. And, yes, this is a nice start, but wait till the second half of the year. They're going to get tested. And they get did, they did get tested. You know, they lost some games down the stretch, but did enough to get in. Obviously, this is a rematch of a game from a couple of weeks ago that Minnesota won on a 61-yard field goal right at the end. You know, I, I think – This is going to be one of the more fascinating games to watch this weekend, and it's one of the more fascinating games to sort of try to pick because they seem evenly matched in a sense. You've got questions about both of these teams. You know, I I do think, you know, if I I were forced to make a pick here, I kind of like Minnesota just because they're playing at home. You know, they've – 
been through some bigger games before. Kirk Cousins has some playoff experience. I'm very impressed with what Brian Gable has done, what Joe Shane has done. I'm working on a piece on Daniel Jones right now, who I think has improved in a number of different areas, you know, in the face of pressure, when he was blitzed, things like that, that have put him in a position to get either a franchise tag or even an extension from the Giants, which is not where we thought we were going to be when this season started. So it's an impressive story about New York. I just, you know, forced to pick between these two teams. I'm kind of leaning towards Minnesota. You've got Cincinnati and the Ravens. Now, this is interesting because, one, it's in their division. Two of these teams were battling for the top spot. Lamar Jackson hasn't played now in five weeks, over a month of football, and there's still questions as to whether or not he's going to practice. We have to wait and see what he does today. But this one, I, even, with, even if Lamar Jackson plays, I, I think he, there's some rust there. Uh, and Cincinnati's role, man, just the, their offense has been, uh, they did struggle in the second half of that game, but their offense has been on a roll, but they're going to be playing these Ravens again in a back-to-back fashion. Now, two weeks in a row at Paul Brown stadium, I, I'd like to think the Bengals are, are probably going to be the stronger team in this one as the defending AFC champion, but I wouldn't put it past the Ravens to do something, one or two things different, even though the Bengals say they played very vanilla in the second half of that game. Yeah, this is a tough one, you know, in the sense that you've got teams that are playing out for the third time. And we don't know Lamar's status. You know, the report and I saw this morning, which I'm sure you saw as well, that, you know, it was termed to have an uphill climb to play this weekend. You know, and he hasn't practiced since the knee injury. You know, he hasn't quite felt right. And here we are Wednesday now. Look, that's the Sunday night game, so he's got a little bit more time. But starting to get a little... You know, not getting the warm and fuzzies about Lamar's availability. I think Cincinnati and what they did in the second half of the year was extremely impressive. If you think about where they were, say, in October after a two and three start and the questions about their offensive schemes and, you know, attacking too high coverage, their run pass splits under center versus shotgun, they really figured a lot of stuff out over the second half of the year. And I know that they've got some injuries on the offensive line. Cap is a question mark. You know, and we saw last year they struggled to protect Joe Burrow. But one of the things that Joe Burrow does extremely well is move in the pocket. You know, he's, he's not the athlete that, say, Lamar Jackson is. But he's so adept at creating space with his feet, keeping his eyes downfield to look for targets. And Dan Orlovsky at ESPN did a great video, I think it was yesterday or the day before, about not just what he does with his feet and his eyes, but what he does with that left hand, because as he's doing all of this to create space, that left hand, it's always glued to the football. You know, he's not taking chances with the ball. It's it's like teach and take for the quarterback position. And so even if Kappa can't go, even if Baltimore gets a little bit of pressure, at times Burroughs seems almost impervious to it. And so I, I look at this game, does Baltimore have a chance? Absolutely. But I think Cincinnati is going to win this one. And then, obviously, the game coming up on uh, Monday night, and this one's a big one in so many senses. Could it be Tom Brady's last game facing the Buccaneers down there in in Tampa Bay? Meanwhile, the Cowboys look terrible in their last game. Mike McCarthy, there's a lot of talk about him possibly losing his job. Dak Prescott has just been awful down the stretch. Give me your thoughts on that one. Yeah, I mean, this one, there's no shortage of storylines for this one. I mean, if you're somebody that covers the NFL or just one of these teams, like, You've got a lot of angles to choose from going into this one. Like you said, could this be Brady's last game? I don't I, I, I don't think so. I, I think even if they lose, he's going to want to come back because I don't think this is the kind of season he wants to end on. You know, so I think he, he'll be back, you know, win or lose uh, next season. That's my gut feeling on it right now. You know, I've heard some discussion. Is this a game where 
the coach of the team that loses loses his job. Like you mentioned, there's some speculation about Mike McCarthy. There was speculation about McCarthy last year after you know the way Dallas exited the playoffs early and with Sean Payton sort of looming out there as you know potential head coach for next season. Jerry Jones has said before he's expressed interest in Sean Payton, so you wonder about that potential angle. I like Dak Prescott as a quarterback. Uh, I think he does some things extremely well, pre-snap, post-snap, but it's, it's been shaky, you know, the past couple of weeks, to say the least, with some turnovers, had an interception in that game against Washington that has left people scratching their heads. You know, I, I think Dallas is has played better this year, let's put it that way, but I think with the way these two teams are playing right now, and plus you got the number 12 factor, I kind of give the edge to Tampa Bay. Great stuff as always, Mark. I appreciate it. We'll touch base again next week. But, man, what a great breakdown, buddy, on uh, Wild Card Weekend. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, my friend. We'll talk next week. Enjoy the game. All right, All right pal. Talk to you soon. There you go. Mark Schofield, SB Nation. You can find him at Mark Schofield over on uh, on Twitter. What a great breakdown, man. Good stuff. I know we went a little bit long, but really, really good stuff. Stay tuned. we got a lot more of the Bill Michael Show coming up next. Ready. This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. You know what? I got a really nice note uh, over on uh, the Facebook fan page, or not the Facebook fan page, but on the uh, on the uh, on the live stream on the Bud Light live stream. And uh, a person, Sip, said, "Hey, they stopped in the Calderon Club last night. Uh, thanks for the recommendation. Very good. I love it when people take the recommendations." And they try the places that we go to, and they enjoy it. That is awesome. Thank you so much for the note and the shout-out over on the uh, the live stream. Calderon Club, San Giorgio, awesome place. He's been talking about it for a long, long time. Stop in, tell Gino, Robin, everybody. Alex is one of the best servers, waiters you're ever going to have. And uh, from Italy, uh, unbelievably authentic and Italian. And uh, and then when he serves you your food, it's manja, manja. It's just that type of place. So uh, I've been talking about it for a long, long time. Stop in. And they pair up the specials, our specials, uh, they pair up our specials with um, with Cider Boys down there. So if you want that, too, you can throw that in. That's uh, from right here in Wisconsin, Point Brewing. They pair it up with them as well. So stop into uh, Calderon Club and get yourself some fantastic Italian food or San Giorgio authentic Napolitana Pizzeria. There's other places that have stone-fired pizzas, but that, it's not the same. You, you will know it when you taste it. It's not the same. And it's fantastic. Either place is wonderful. And then they pair it up with Cider Boys uh, from Point Brewing up in Stevens Point. So good, good stuff from our friends at Calderon Club. Thanks to them. And thanks to you for going in there, too. We certainly appreciate it. 877-867-1670. So Matt LaFleur at the end-of-season presser talked, first of all, about the off-season evaluation and how important it is, specifically after going 8-9. and nine extremely important it kind of sets the path for us over the course of the off season get a chance to have a lot of great conversations with players coaches really everybody involved in our whole football operation and 
look at everything that we do and how how can we do it better. And certainly, obviously, coming off a very disappointing season where I don't think anybody expected this, and but it's here, and um, that's the, the you always got to get to the truth of the matter. And the bottom line is, what we did this season was not good enough, and um, so there's there's obviously a lot of room for improvement, and kind of challenge our team and and our coaches and everybody involved to uh, make sure that. You know, we are very mindful of how we use our time and, and uh, challenge everybody to look at themselves critically in, in certain areas that we can get better. And I know there's, like I said, there's a, there's a lot of room for improvement. So he had said that uh, everything was exposed. And, you know, in, in you know everything's been exposed after the loss, you know. So when you say everything's been exposed, what, what's what been exposed? What did he mean by that specifically? Uh, well, I, I don't necessarily want to get into all the specifics because certainly there's um, there's areas that I know that come right to mind, and I'd, I'd like to address that in-house before I ever do it through the media. But um, I think that just uh, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of things that we didn't do consistently enough throughout the course of the season that's kind of led us to this point. And, um, you know, obviously uh, there's there's been a, a lack of discipline as well in terms of just some of the stuff that we've done out on the field that, that we can't have. Uh, first of all, I would agree with that. The lack of discipline, that... I, okay, I agree with that statement. He's correct. The recognition of it is correct. But that's your job. How in the world can you demand and coach and 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 how do you demand discipline? Yeah, absolutely. You, you stress it each and every day, and there's got to be a clear understanding because no different than what Rasul did out there. That is unacceptable, and he's well aware of it, and he knows, and he knows better. And I trust that we have players that are intelligent enough to understand that and that they, they can control themselves in the heat of the battle. And I get it. Some, some things sometimes happen out there throughout the course and, and, and you want your guys kind of playing on with an edge, but whistle the whistle. Keep it, you know, in, in you know, fair play. The extracurricular stuff cannot happen. And our guys are well aware of that. And there's going to obviously be a huge emphasis, I would say, going into next season about how we handle ourselves. Because ultimately, it, it not only looks bad, obviously, but it hurts the team. And we can't have it. So, oh, okay, um, Ben. Let me let me let me ask you this question. When he says, "Oh, we got to emphasize it every day," does and I'm not being a jerk here. Does Matt Lafleur sound like he's the guy you're going to listen to for discipline? Not necessarily. Other than just having the title head coach, does anything in that the way he talks about it, the way he expresses it? 
doesn't he sound like a kind of like he's been snipped? Like he, the the discipline side of things are just it's gone. Kind of. I I do doesn't think it? I think his forward facing comments to the media that are always framed and said in the same tone and framed the same way. I do think it's different when he's not at the podium. So I could see that being a side of it. But if mm-hmm. that was the message there, the one that we hear, then yes, I agree with that. That that outward portrayal is just so milk toast. I mean, unless he's firing brimstone behind closed doors, I, you know, he's got the term head coach. But beyond that, I'm kind of like, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, just learning about I, that too, Bill. Thank you very much. Uh, speaking of learning, uh, come you couldn't learn via the struggles in the red zone and goal to go situations where it's all shotgun all the damn time. Your goal to go, your red zone stunk. I mean, there's a lot that we have to study this off season. Um, you know, whether it was poor play design or lack of execution or all of the above, it it, it wasn't good enough. You know, just. We did a piss poor job in the red zone. And, um, you know, I've said it before. Sometimes you kick enough field goals, you're, you're going to get yourself beat. And that's kind of what happened because I felt like for a lot of the game, we were able to move the football and then in some critical situations, um, couldn't convert, um, you know, had a turnover. And you can't do that in these types of games. So one of the things with the offense, and we talked about this, and I, I mentioned this early on in the program, I said, look, the offense, when people were saying you can't come down on Joe Barry without coming down on Matt LaFleur for the offense, the offense never got really going this year. We kept waiting for it to take off. We kept waiting for the real Aaron Rodgers to show up. We kept waiting for this surgeon-esque dissection down the field, outs, to tight ends, to running backs, you know, one or two shots over the top. And then it just, it never got going. So what did he see from this offense? Because it just never found consistency pretty much throughout the entire season. We never quite had the continuity we we would have liked, but that's the game. And you got to be able to adapt and adjust and try to put your players in the best position possible. And, and, um, hope that they can go out there and execute to the best of their ability. And we just didn't do it consistently enough. There were flashes. I am excited. I, I do think there's a lot of young players in our locker room that will take that next step, I would say, and and show that improvement. And just like I told you guys earlier, challenged all of these guys, challenge our coaches, give these guys one to two things to work on from now until we get back April 17th. And then we'll look, reevaluate that as well and see where we are when, when we get them back in the building. Um, but I do think there's, there's a lot of good young players in that locker room that we've got to continue to develop. And these guys are going to have to take that next step in order for us to kind of take the next step as a team. I, that I agree with. I think there's some young talent there. I th- I'm waiting for and anticipating a nice next step. For Watson, for Dobbs, for Devontae Wyatt, for for Quay Walker, I'm 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 excited about that. I'm even excited to see what Sean Ryan brings to the table next year offensively. Zach Tom, I think it was a pretty good draft. Uh, I, that I really do. Uh, interesting though, Pack fan says, "What is your issue with Matt Lafleur?" It certainly seems like you don't like him. It's not that I don't like him. It's that I think I let you want me to put my cards on the table. Let's do this because I'm late for a break. When we come back, I'll put all my cards on the table. I'll, I'll tell you exactly 
what my issue is. And and that I'll, I'll be very, very blunt and very honest about it when we come back. Stay tuned. we got more of the Bill Michael Show coming up next. This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Continuing on, and uh, don't forget about our friends over there at uh, Skipper Buds. They have uh, the boat shows coming up, so look for Skipper Buds at the boat show as well. And if you find Skipper Buds Pewaukee, ask for Todd. He can help you out. He can pen the deals. He can point you in the right direction. They have a ton of inventory. Get a hold of our buddy Todd at the boat show, which is uh, fast approaching. I I love the boat show. Absolutely love the boat show. Uh, 877-867-1670. So, I want to go back to Pac-Fan's comments. He says, why do you not like Matt LaFleur? That's not it. It's not that I don't, because I do. I think Matt LaFleur has been a good coach. And what I th- this is what I think. If you want me to put everything on the table, okay, I think Matt LaFleur was tasked with a very difficult job. He had to make Aaron Rodgers happy. That was his number one priority coming in. And in year one... It was a good working relationship. It was a new relationship. It was an exciting relationship for both parties. In year two, they had success. Rodgers started to feel it because now Rodgers is being consulted. Rodgers is a part of the decision-making process. Okay? There's a lot going on there. All right? This year, I think Rodgers has been given a lot of power. I think Rodgers has, and I'm not coming down on Rodgers because it's basically been given to him. I think Rodgers has been given a lot of power and that Matt LaFleur spent too much time kissing his ass. And to the point that he was kind of, he became the underling. He was no longer kind of the head coach. He became Aaron Rodgers' guy. If, if you will, I, there, there's other words I can use. I'm not going to use them on the air, but he, he kind of became that guy for Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers became the leader of the team. The And I'm not talking the leader as in, follow me. I'm going to throw you on my back and we're going to go win games. I mean, I'm the guy in charge, not the head coach. And the play calling became very reminiscent of the stuff we used to complain about with Mike McCarthy. Aaron doesn't want to be under center. Oh, okay, so Aaron doesn't going to go under center. But it became predictable, right? I understand the thumb probably had a little bit to do with that. But there were times when I looked at this offense and I went, God. And, and there was conversations that were not had by, nor started by, nor participated in by myself. In listening to other members of the media say, this is the Mike McCarthy offense. So... While Matt LaFleur numerous times throughout the season said, I'm the one calling the plays, and Rodgers said he's calling the plays, there were times it reverted back to what we all couldn't stand about the Mike McCarthy offense. It's not that I don't like Matt LaFleur. I think Matt LaFleur sold his soul to the devil to be buddies with, friends with, respected by, or followed by Aaron Rodgers in some way, shape, or form, and in doing so, lost that that head coach respect. 
So that's what I think happened. He protects Rodgers to the nth degree. Rodgers has no problem. Now, Aaron Rodgers, for those that say Rodgers never takes responsibility, that's a lie. He took a lot of responsibility this year. But he has no problem pointing out things. He said on Pat McAfee that if guys aren't going to do it, they need to sit. That's a head coaching decision. That's not a quarterback decision. But he took it upon himself to say it. And once you lose that level of respect, whatever you want to call it, respect, fear, authority, whatever, once you lose it, you can never, ever get it back. Because the guys around you, your, your quote, underlings, those who you are supposed to govern, look at you as you're not the leader, he is. I don't have to listen to you. I got to please this guy over here. Yeah, you're going to yell at me. And you can pull me in and out of the game. But ultimately, if this guy likes me, he's going to want me back. He's going to be the guy that throws me the football, not you. He's going to be the guy that's going to look for me on the out route, not you. He's going to be the guy at the line of scrimmage that's going to change your play to get me the ball. I don't have to worry about you. And I think along the way, Matt LaFleur lost himself. So, uh, Thomas, you brought this up now twice when you say, Matt LaFleur, uh, Rodgers gave him backhanded comments. I did not hear it. So, or maybe I did and I'm missing it. So if you can explain, please do so. Because I, I didn't catch that. But that, so when Pac-Fan, when you ask me that and you say, why you got it against Matt LaFleur? Because once you jump in bed with the players and you're like down on that level and you're, you know, it's great to be a player's coach, but you have to be highly respected to go to that level. There's disciplinarians who say, do as I say, or I'm going to make you run, and I'm going to blah, 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 whatever. We all know that. But to be a player's coach, there is that you walk a really fine line. And when the first couple of years of your fine line were spent kissing the ass of the quarterback because he didn't know if he was or wasn't going to come back, and he needed to kind of feel welcome, and he needed to have a say, and he needed to have, you know, feel like he was being treated as a human being. And, and you know, I agree with a lot of that, but there, you can go so far down that rabbit hole that you you literally flip-flop your authority. And that's what, and honestly, that's what I think happened. Matt LaFleur is not the same sounding guy. Matt LaFleur, you don't see Matt LaFleur get in a Roger's face like he did. And I'm not saying he has to get in Roger's face to have his authority, but you, I mean, it's gone. It's gone. I still go back to the first year. Rodgers rolling out to his right, third down, guys underneath, wide open. He's focused on Devontae Adams across the top, down and down along the sideline, completely covered. Rodgers holds on to it, holds on to it, holds on to it, and finally throws it away. LaFleur, with his, his plays, his, his play sheet in hand, running down the sideline from about the 40-yard line down to about the 20, running. And Rodgers is like, what do you want me to do? Rodgers throws his hands out. You could see it on TV. What do you want me to do? And they pan to Matt LaFleur in an angry face, red face, yelling at Rodgers, throw the effing ball. In other words, run the damn play. And I went, wow. He has a working relationship with this guy, but still the authority to call him out. That was the last I've seen of that. That was the last I've seen of that. 
I don't believe there's accountability. I think there is finger pointing. I think there is eye rolling. I don't know because I'm not behind the scenes. But what? But but many times, and in a court of law, perception becomes reality. Perception becomes reality, and that reality has set in over the last year and a half where that perception has gotten stronger and stronger and stronger. And I just I look at it and I go, I don't think LaFleur has the authority to even look at Rodgers in a, in a cross-eyed way. This Now, Thomas, this may be what you're talking about when Aaron Rodgers talked about why the offense never got going this year. Take a listen. There's a lot of things I could say, but I don't feel like saying them right here, right now. Is that it? There's a lot of things he can say, but he don't want to say them right here, right now. Is that what you're talking about? I mean, because I don't see that as a backhanded slap towards Matt. It just... He can talk about players that didn't play right. He can talk about the release, uh, you know, not doing enough to bring Devontae back, which is really Aaron Rodgers' own fault. I mean, you can go through a lot of lists of things. But if you wanted honesty, that's my honesty. I think Matt LaFleur's authority has been snipped by the quarterback. And I think he is, everybody walks around in fear of making Aaron Rodgers mad. Ending up in Aaron's doghouse? Who cares? In Aaron's doghouse? You're you're the head coach. Eight seven seven eight six seven sixteen seventy eight seven seven eight six seven sixteen seventy. So hopefully that gives you the explanation as to where my mind is at. I'm just calling it as I see it, perception wise. I could be wrong. Maybe I am. Who knows? Um, you know what? I'm woefully late for a break. Got to take a break. Stay tuned. More of the Bill Michael Show next. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket, this is The Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Now, in Green Bay, here's Mike Clemens. The Packers added 13 free agents yesterday, including offensive tackle Jake DeLance. David Bakhtiari says he'll be back next year, has been through four surgeries in two years, three on his left knee, another, that appendectomy last month. Bakhtiari says he's looking forward to an offseason at that training program Clay Matthews introduced him two years ago in Southern California, instead of recovering in a hospital. I'm pumped. I don't have surgery uh, set up right now, so that's fantastic. Just got done talking to Coach Buckus. The, the main thing is I just get to train because uh, the last two years have just been rehab. So it's nice to finally train and like to build my armor again, kind of get myself back and ready. I mean, I also love training since working out with Clay all the time. I think uh, in the offseason, that was. I mean, some of the best memories I have of my career is the offseason time. Matt Lafleur says getting Bakhtiari back in the starting lineup this past season was a priority. I thought that once we got him back out there on a consistent basis, once we learned how to best practice him, once he learned how to do that for himself, I thought he played at a pretty high level. That's Packers head coach Matt Lafleur in Green Bay. I'm Mike Clemens on the Bill Michaels Show. If you are saying, oh, maybe you're planning a wedding and you want to do something uh, kind of cool, eclectic, maybe, uh, I'm not saying, uh, you know, inexpensive, but a uh, terrific place, terrific place to go. Um, the uh, Irish Cultural and Heritage Center, new look uh, website, by the way, the ICHC.com. 
or .net, I should say, ICHC.net. It's a premier venue downtown Milwaukee for Irish activities or non-Irish activities, but uh, concerts, cultural events, and a whole lot more. They can host anything from weddings, receptions, corporate meetings, graduation parties, celebrations of life, dance recitals. They have a beautiful concert hall, if you haven't seen it already. Go to ICHC.net and get a hold of our guy, Corey, over there. ICHC.net or call them directly. 414-345-8800-414-345-8800-414-345-8800. Again, 414-345-8800. That's the ICHC, the Irish Cultural and Heritage Center, ICHC.net. ICHC.net. They got a lot of cool stuff. A lot of cool stuff. Events and such coming up. Uh, they've got uh, more coming. Concerts and such. They just finished the concert series for the holidays. Oh, my God. It was so good. So good. That didn't put you in the Christmas spirit. I didn't I didn't know what would. But, man, oh, man. Really, really cool. But uh, ICHC.net. Good stuff. Eight, seven, yeah, go ahead, Ben. I was just going to quickly note, speaking of Christmas, uh, a lot was made last year about how our Christmas tree in the building was up until February. Um, yes. Last year. They took it down on January 7th around here. So Really? Applause to all of the employees here at Midwest Family Madison. <laughs> Thank you for getting down on the damn Christmas tree. There you go. Oh, I'm being dead serious. To go. It, yeah. it made my week. Okay. Ben Kenny, impressed and smiling at the little things. I like it. I like it a lot. Good stuff. I uh, want to remind you that uh, we're going to be at the uh, the Thirsty Duck tonight out in Sussex. Thirsty Duck tonight. Looking forward to that. And then catch the uh, live broadcast Friday, January 27th. Do lunch with us. We're giving away a 55-inch big screen TV, apparently. I've just been told. All compliments of our friends at Bud Light. We're going to be at the Stillery in Grafton, Wisconsin. The Stillery in Grafton, come out and do lunch. Doors open at 11. We start 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., but from 11 to 2, we're going to be there. You can come in. You can register for prizes and get registered for the 55-inch big-screen TV. That means you can watch the AFC and the NFC Championship games and the big game, Super Bowl, all on the big-screen TV. 55 inches you can take home, put it in your house. Good stuff. All from our friends at the Stillery and Bud Light. Not a bad way to go. Liking it. 877-867-1670, 877-867-1670. 877-867-1670, 877-867-1670. You want to find us, please feel free. Go ahead and do so again, 877-867-1670. Uh, let's go to Chris listening to us in Brookfield. Chris, how you doing, man? What's going on? Well, uh, I promise I'm going to try and keep my cool since last time the other day. I just kind of lost everything on my come on the Packers season ending here. But listening to everybody talk and listen to you, and, and I mean, as usual, Bill, you, you – Take that little thumb hammer and you pound in the biggest nail and you're dead on. I mean, if uh, LaFleur keeps Barry and he fails again next year because of the defense, they both have to go. But, I, I mean, if you go back to year one when it started and you they hired LaFleur and this offense was going to be the up-tempo, get-out-of-huddle, play-action, lots of motion. They started that and it was going pretty good. But then Aaron kept on saying he didn't like it. So LaFleur, because Aaron isn't smart enough to figure out the verbiage, he had to change it back to the kind of play calling that he was used to. 
Aaron Rodgers didn't have that great a year, and that's when the second year they drafted Love. And then Aaron and, and LaFleur had this great meeting of the minds, which basically was they threw out a ton of LaFleur's offense, and they kept it more to what Rodgers likes to run. In that season, you had Devontae get hurt multiple times, and Rodgers kept on clicking because he decided, okay, I got to hit these other receivers. But every time Devontae would come back, what would happen? He would just sit there and throw continuously to Devontae, not hit the open receivers, not move the chains. I mean, the biggest examples: Tampa Bay, three times in a row. We all know the facts. He had Lazard yeah. on second, he had Tanyan on third, and he refuses to do it. I think the biggest problem with this is, is Rodgers and Murphy. Rodgers, because he, he just doesn't have the accuracy no more. I don't think his decision-making is that great anymore. I mean, how do you not throw to the inside? The receiver last week gets picked off by the safety, but because of the hands. Let, let's face. do this. I, I get what you're saying. Hang on, Chris. I got I to gotta run. We're at the top of the hour. I get it. We'll talk about it when we come back. Stay tuned. More of the Bill Michael Show coming up right after this. The Bill Michael Show Podcast. Listen, rate, subscribe. 